Okay, guys, we are in Lesson 10 today. We are in the last church. Boy, we made it through the seven churches. This is the seventh church, the church at Laodicea. And I think, actually, this church represents a lot of the North American church. A lot of the North American church. Because of what's going on there. So let's look with me. We're going to look at... Chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And then starting next week, we're going to get into the things that will come, the future things, starting with chapter 4. So look with me, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were cold or hot. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so again, let's, we're going to break it up normally as we have the destination, the recipient. As always, uh, Christ addressed the pastor of the church in Laodicea. Now let me explain to you a little bit about Laodicea. It was a wealthy city located on the road to Colossae. It was about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. About 35 years before this letter was written, Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. But it had wealth and ability to rebuild itself. In fact, the Roman government said that they would come in and rebuild this city. And Laodicea said, we don't need your help. We can do it ourselves. So you see automatically there's a self-sufficient attitude in Laodicea. The other problem with Laodicea was it had no natural source of water. No natural source of water. So it had to have water piped in. They were kind of advanced in those days, whether you realize it or not. They had water piped in through aqueducts from different areas. So nearby there were areas with cold springs, an area with hot springs, so water would be piped in. Now, by the time it got to Laodicea, now you've got to remember now, it is Turkey. What condition do you think the water's in? It's pretty, yeah, it's warm. You know, it's pretty, and then you go through, I mean, it's not PVC piping they're going through, people. You understand what I'm saying? It's probably clay pipes, and you kind of think about that. It's not, you know, so the water condition's not that good. But its main industry was wool cloth. That was the main industry of Laodicea. So that will help you to understand what's going on here with this church. Here's the description of Christ. Christ describes himself in three ways. First of all, he describes himself as the Amen, 
the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. So let's talk about both of those. First of all, he describes himself as the Amen. What does that mean? Christ affirms his sovereignty over human affairs. You say, how do you, how do you get that out of Amen? Well, first of all, Amen means this. Amen to you means Amen, as in a closing to a prayer. All right? Or in some churches, some churches like ours, where somebody will say, they like what the preacher's saying, and somebody will holler, Amen! That especially happens down south. Sometimes it's said for silly things. Like I remember going to church in Virginia, and the Redskins won! Amen! Like, you know, big deal. I mean, that, this is, but here's what it means. So be it. Amen, the actual meaning of the word means, so be it. Really what it's talking about is, is God's sovereignty here. That he is sovereign over the affairs of men. You know, this week in my devotions, I was reading through the Psalms. And, you know, I've read through the Psalms before, but when I came to Psalm 29, I was reading verse 10, it was like it just struck me what it was saying. Listen to what Psalm 29, verse 10 says. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. Do you catch what it's saying? Remember what the flood was in the, in, in the Scripture? It was that event that affected our whole world, where the whole world was submerged. It was God's judgment except for one family that he saved. And the psalmist writes, David writes, that when that catastrophic event happened, who was sitting on the throne? God. Isn't that an awesome thought? Think about the catastrophes that are happening in your life right now. He's still on the throne, folks. He's still on the throne. And, and this is really what Jesus is saying. I'm the amen. I'm the so be it. I'm the one who's sovereign. Isn't that an awesome thought? Because, I mean, how many of you, your life gets turned up upside down? I do. And then when you're in the midst of those turned upside down moments, you wonder who's in control. Because you're thinking, I'm not. Well, you know what? That's good, because there is one who is in control, and that's God. He's the one who's sovereign over the affairs of men. Here's the other thing. He says he's a faithful and true witness. Now, Christ affirms his testimony as trustworthy and fully comprehensive. He affirms his testimony as trustworthy and fully comprehensive. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, I... When I speak and when I share, you can believe what I'm saying. And you can even understand what I'm saying. Because I am a faithful witness. I am a true witness. What I bear witness to is going to happen. And so we see that there. The other thing I want you to see is this. He calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. So the next point there is, Christ existed before God's creation and is sovereign over it. Christ existed before God's creation and is sovereign over it. In fact, the book of Colossians makes it very clear that Jesus had a part in creation. The book of Colossians in the first chapter makes it very clear that the things that exist exist because of Jesus. Now, the next part of the letter is the commendation. Remember, it's when Jesus says, I know your works, and here's the great things you're doing. Remember, we saw that with the other churches. Notice something about this church. 
Here's the point. It is noteworthy that Christ did not commend them for anything. Now, here's the Laodicean church. I mean, this church had some... I mean, when we read here, they're, they're doing pretty good as far as material stuff and sufficiency and everything. But Jesus says, I can't find anything good about you. Wow. That's a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, look, this, this church, in fact, let's read it together here. Look at verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I would vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, now his, this is their testimony. This is their testimony, folks. I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. So these folks are doing okay. These folks are where some of you would like to be at, right? You know, some of you would, you know, you, you buy those tickets and you scratch the ticket and you're like, I'm the winner. You know, I like to be the winner because I don't want to have need of nothing. These folks have everything. So you would think that, man, they got all the resources, they got everything, they should be doing okay. But notice something. He doesn't commend them for anything. In fact, remember something now. Remember, there were two churches that he didn't rebuke. Two churches that he didn't find anything wrong with them. And they were in the exact opposite condition. Their condition was they were being persecuted, they were poor, they were suffering. And Jesus said to them, I don't find anything wrong with you guys. Here's a church that's got everything... He can't find anything good about them. Wow, isn't that interesting? That's some food for thought, isn't it, folks? Food for thought. That's food for thought for a pastor. That's food for thought for everyone in the church. Now, let's go on. Notice what, here's what the rebuke is. He's going to rebuke them for several things. First of all, once again, he says, I know your works. Christ has an intimate knowledge of the church. So he knows everything about that church. There's nothing hidden from him. He has an intimate knowledge of the church. He points out that they're lukewarm. Here's what he says. They are abhorrent to Christ because of their complacency in spiritual matters. They are abhorrent to Christ because of their complacency in spiritual matters. You know what? Here, here's the best way to say it. If you want to write this down, they make Jesus sick. When he says, you make me want to vomit you out of my mouth, that's literally saying... I, you make me sick. I want to throw up. You make me want to throw up. How many of you have used that before about somebody? They just make you want to throw up. That's what Jesus is saying here, folks. He's looking at this church who's got everything, who says we're, we're rich, we have need of nothing, and he says, you guys are neither hot or cold. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I want to remind you of the Laodicean church. Remember what I said? No natural source of water. They had to pipe it in. So near them were hot springs, and hot water is good to, what, relax in. If you've got ailments, it's good to soak. That's why we sell spas, is it not? All right? Cold water is what? Refreshing. How many of you got a use for lukewarm Lukewarm water. What do you use that for? Not much. Nobody wants it. In fact... 
some of you, I think some of you have shared with me about growing up and, and, and sharing the same bath and being the last one in line. You know what I'm saying? How did you like being the last one in line in that bathtub? Not, not good at all. You wanted to be the first one in. Do you know what I'm saying? Here's, here's what I want you to see. This is what he's saying. They're of no use. They're of no use. And he just wants to spit them out of his, ma- out of, out of his mouth. He wants to throw them up. So that's what he's saying about that church. I mean, how would you like to be, man, Jesus says, you know, I just want to, you just make me sick. I want to throw you up. Here's what else. They're blind to their true condition. They were blind to their true condition because of their wealth. They were blind to their true condition because of their wealth. Folks, let's stop for a moment. I need to make this point. There is a correlation between the amount of stuff people have and how open they are to the gospel. I'm just telling you right off the bat. That doesn't mean people who have stuff can't get saved. They do. But there is a correlation. What happens is, is when you have a lot of stuff, do you need Jesus? No. I mean, if you have, if you have money in the bank, you don't need Jesus. You don't need God. You just write the check out. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can, you can get what you need. That's why most of the people who responded to Jesus, can I be honest with you, were lower income people. Just being flat out honest with you. Because they had nothing. So they knew their need. But when you see the people who had something, the Pharisees, let me just stop for a moment. The Pharisees were middle class, upper middle class people. The Sadducees were the aristocrats of the community. These are folks who had what they needed. They weren't open to Jesus at all because they didn't see need the, need, the need for Jesus. This is why Jesus says it is, it is it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, what, a camel going through an eye of a needle. You ladies who sew, you know how small an eye of a needle is. That's the point. And, and, and then the disciples will, then it's impossible for anybody to get saved. Jesus said, but what's impossible with man is possible with God. Meaning, it is possible for people to get saved, but it's more difficult when you are self-sufficient and you have wealth. Because you forget God. And so he's saying to them, guys, you're blind to your own condition because of what you have. You don't even know the depravity of your own soul because you have everything. Let me just stop for a moment. Proverbs says this. Better to have little with love than to have much with strife. Do you understand what he's saying? Better to have little with love than much with strife. All of us here, if you're a human being, you want to do better than what you did when you got raised. You want what's better for your kids. But my friends, there's a fine line, and nobody knows where it is. And you can cross that line in your own life and the lives of your family to where you become blind to your own condition because you become enamored with stuff. Bottom line. Bottom line. And this is what's going on with this church. They had everything. They were blind to their own condition. 
That's the problem here. In fact, I want you to notice something here. Look with me. Look at what it says there. Verse 17. You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't even know that. You're not even aware of that. It kind of reminds me of the uh, nursery, you know, the the children's uh, fairy tale. Remember the emperor's clothes? I mean, the emperor's clothes, I mean, he was duped. Thinking he was putting on this new fabric, wouldn't put anything on him. town naked. Doesn't even know he's naked. That's the condition of a lot of Christians today, folks. All right, so here's the exhortation. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The exhortation. Look with me. Verse 18 through 19. He's going to tell them what to do. Look with, first of all, he says, I counsel you, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich. Here's what he's saying. Christ calls them to seek riches in heaven. Christ calls them to seek riches in heaven. Let me stop for a moment. Am I saying to you it's bad to have stuff? If you take that away from here today, you've totally misread me. It's not bad to have stuff. It's not bad to have money. Because God uses folks with money. But here's what I'm saying. It's bad for the stuff to have you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's one thing to have it, but if it has you. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? You can have money, but if money has you, you've got a problem. Because your focus is wrong. What Jesus is saying to this church is, I'm counseling you to buy gold that's refined in fire. I'm counseling you to buy gold that's in heaven. I'm wanting you to seek spiritual riches. That's where your focus needs to be. Not here, but later on. Think about the treasure you're laying up later on. Not here. Here's the problem. You know, I heard uh, John Piper say this. I've shared this with some of you before. John Piper said, you know, he asked his congregation, he pastors Bethlehem Baptist Church in, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. He, he asked his folks, he said, you know, if you can have all of heaven right now, all of heaven right now, all the, all the blessings, all the, everything, perfect health, perfect relationships, everything right now, without Jesus, would that be okay? And he said, the scary thing is, is probably most of the folks in his church would say, yeah, that's okay. Because here's the problem, folks. We want heaven right now. Do you realize that? We want heaven right now. But heaven's later on. And how quickly, if you got your focus where you want heaven right now, you realize when the next problem comes along, that it isn't here. It's later on. And so Jesus is saying, don't seek right now. Seek the riches later on. That's where we need to be. Our focus needs to be. It's later on. Lay up for yourself riches in heaven. He goes on then about seeking righteousness. Look at verse 18. And he says, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Here's what he's saying. He calls them to be clothed in righteousness. Whenever he talks about clothing yourself in the Scripture, it's always talking about clothing yourself in Christ's righteousness. Not in your own, because you don't have any righteousness. 
But you clothe yourself in His righteousness, that you're no longer naked. Do you realize when God sees you, He sees you for who you are? doesn't matter how well you cover yourself up. And when He sees you for who you are, He sees the wickedness of who you are. He sees your evil heart. You know, I was reading through, through, the, through, the, uh, through the Psalms here in the last week, and David says, Who can understand his errors? I think of Psalm 17. Who can understand his errors? Is what the New King James says. We don't even understand our own faults, sins. God does, and when he sees us, we're laid bare. And he says, you know what, clothe yourself in righteousness. But you say, I don't have any righteousness. You clothe yourself in Jesus, in his forgiveness, in his righteousness. Isn't that awesome? Because when he sees you, he sees you clothed in Jesus, not in yourself. He goes on then and says, seek spiritual sight. Look at what he says, verse 18. And anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. Christ calls them to seek healing for their spiritual blindness. Christ calls them to seek healing for their spiritual blindness. You know what should be a prayer for you on a constant basis is that chorus, open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. That should be something from you every week. Lord, open my eyes. Because here's some Christians, their eyes are closed because of what? The stuff they have. God, open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. I want to see Him in my life. I want to see Him working. Help me to see my true condition. Help me to see what's going on here. Open my eyes. So he's saying that they should seek spiritual gifts. Now we get to verse 19, and here's what he says to them. Repent. Christ calls them to acknowledge and turn from their sin. In fact, here's what he's saying, guys. Look with me. Verse 19 is a very good verse. You need to understand this. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Here's what he's saying. Here's what God's saying. Let me, let me put it down in a synopsis. Here's what he's saying. I love you, therefore, you're going to the woodshed when you need to go. Do you understand what I'm saying? I love you, so if you need a whooping, I'll whoop you. In fact, here's the thing. If you're a child of God, he doesn't let you run around. He will whoop you. Whatever it takes to get your attention, God will do it. Now, if you see somebody who says they're a Christian and it doesn't look like they're suffering any consequences for their bad behavior, I would question whether or not they know Jesus. Because if you are God's son or daughter, he will take you to the woodshed if you're not doing right. He will whoop you. He chastises and scourges every son he loves, is what Hebrew says. God will deal with you. Now, let me stop for a moment. He's not going to deal with you like some big ogre, like he wants to squash you and show how powerful he is. No, it's like when I discipline my children, it's because I love them and I need to correct some behavior. Do you understand what I'm saying? I need to correct their behavior. It's not to show who's in charge here. Like, we just, we just entered into a transitional phase in my home. And it just dawned on me here in the last two months, and, and I've, had to, I've had to change my approach with my two oldest ones because they're now teenagers. 
And when you've got teenagers, it's no longer what you do with the little ones. Don't do this, do this. You know, it's now you've got to say, okay, you have a choice to make. And here's the consequences. And, if you may, and, and these are the consequences at home. So I've had to change my approach. So do you understand why? Because I love them. God's going to do whatever it takes in your life to get your attention, folks. He's going to do what it takes to get your attention. And if you're not doing right, He's going to chastise you. And a lot of times, you don't have to wonder why stuff is happening in your life. If you're a child of God, you know, okay, I know why this is happening. I know why this is happening. I'm not doing right here. And the Holy Spirit will say to you, yeah, this is happening because of this. Because notice something. This is what God says about himself. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's a promise, folks. If he loves you, he's going to chasten you. Bottom line. Here's what else he says. Look at the promise. Three things. First of all, fellowship. Verse 20. Now, verse 20 is often used, especially in our circle of churches, with reference to evangelism. Let me read verse 20, and let me ask you, how many of you have heard this with reference to evangelism? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. How many of you have heard that with reference to evangelism? Okay. It is not with reference to evangelism. It can be used that way, but that is not the context of this verse. Remember, when you take the text out of its context, you're left with a con. This message is actually for you and I as Christians. Let's remind ourselves about the church at Laodicea. They were self-sufficient. They had wealth. They didn't need anything, so they didn't really need Jesus. So they were blind to their own condition. And so Jesus says to them as a promise, he says, you know what? I'm knocking at the door. If you let me in, I will come meet with you. Folks, he's knocking at the doors of our life. If you want to go do your own thing, he's going to take care of you. He already said, "I'll the woodshed. But I'm knocking at the door. If anyone lets me in, I will come in and dine with him. So here's what he's saying here. Christ promised to fellowship with those who come to him. You don't have to wonder whether or not Jesus wants to spend time with you. He does. He does. You know, I've been, um, you know, just a lot in the mornings now I'm getting up and I'm going for a walk again on the trail and, and talking with the Lord. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've had some wonderful times with the Lord now. Just talking with Him and then seeing Him answer prayers during the week. It makes me want to go spend more time with Him. That's how it starts. At first you may not see anything. You just talk with Him. And a lot of times I'll talk until I ain't got nothing more to talk and I'll just think. And if He brings something to mind, I'll talk to Him about that. But just talk with Him. He wants the fellowship with you. God is real. He's not like the deist where he sets things in motion and then he goes off and he goes on a vacation and lets everything happen on its own. A lot of Christians are closet deists. That God kind of set everything in motion and we're here to live our own life. No, he wants to have an fellowship with you. So look at verse 20. In verse 21 he says this, To him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Here's what he says. 
Those who persevere will share Christ's throne with him. The throne represents a lot of things, folks. It represents authority, rule. Again, we've already seen this over and over again. We are promised that we're going to rule with Jesus. He's going to give us a place. A throne is a place of honor. He says, I'm going to put you in a place of honor. You're going to sit with me on the throne. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? There's a lot there in that word picture that he's given us there. And then finally, here's the exhortation. We are called to acknowledge what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. Again, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Folks, if God's speaking to you, you need to acknowledge what he's saying to you and be obedient to his word. Be obedient to his word. Okay, we've got time for one question. Anybody got a question about what we've read? Next week, we're going to start in that third section, the things that are to come, starting in chapter 4, all the way through the end of chapter 22, and we will see what, what God is going to do in the future. So we'll spend the next 19 weeks looking at that. All right, let's, let's close our time and get ready for the morning worship service.